It's also a special day as we finalize our last installment of a series that we began a few weeks ago called Build. And the entire series is surrounding one simple statement that says, if life was a construction, what would you be building? The truth is this, friends, we are all building something. Every single one of us is a builder. Some of us are in the, bi in the business of building our self-project. Whatever that self-project is, you're trying to build yourself up in a way. You're trying to build your reputation up in a particular way. You're trying to build your resources up in a particular way. You're trying to build up your skill sets or you're trying to build out your wealth or whatever dreams and careers that you have aspiration to build up over the period of your existence here. Nobody sits idle doing absolutely nothing. Most of us are building something with the myth that whatever we're building is going to bring us the greatest sense of fulfillment. And the entire series was saying, since life is a construction, it's not if that it may or may not be. Since life is a construction, the question to you and I is, what are you building? What are you building? Because you're building something. And I feel like God, if he was, uh, you know, Jesus, if he was amongst us today, he would invite every single one of us and say, listen, what you're building is, can be of greater implication and greater ramification if you join me on the building construction and change the eternities of so many people around. And we were invited as the followers of Jesus he is the ultimate cornerstone, and we're an invited group of people to join him in building his temple, to build with stones, living stones that have not yet come to know Jesus, and that we do that by reaching out to people that don't know Jesus yet, and inviting them to be part of the temple of Jesus Christ, to be part of the family of Jesus Christ. But we also, as Peter tells us in his epistle, that we are a growing temple. We're not a static temple. We're a growing temple. We need to egg each other on. We need to challenge one another. We need to stir one, other, one another up to become the temple that God had in mind, that we would be the group of people that in our collective uh, responsibility manifest the character of God because that's his dwelling place it's not a building it's your life it's my life collectively our goal in life is to reveal God's presence in the world full stop the goal of the Christian life is to be a dwelling place. It's to be a place where God, just like He inhabited the body of Jesus and manifested His goodness and manifested His kindness and manifested His wisdom and manifested His power and changed the life of people for eternity, that you and I are invited as well to the same privilege because of Jesus. We're invited to manifest the character of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God. God, wherever we may be. Don't we undersell our Christianity at times? But it's so much better than simply coming to church, enjoying some uh, blessings from Almighty God and, and going about building our self-project. You either are building your self-project or you're building the temple of Jesus in a selfless act of living out the purposes of God for the sake of others. And in the past few weeks, we looked at 
couple of things that prevent us from being part of the selfless project that God wants to build. Number one, we spoke about our motivation. Sometimes we don't feel motivated to be builders. And last week we spoke about our identity, that at times we don't see ourselves as builders. At least we don't see ourselves as builders in the temple of God. Sometimes we see ourselves as consumers in the, in the temple of God, but sometimes we don't see ourselves as builders. And today, I want to finish off our series by looking at sometimes we're prevented because of our incompetence, because we don't know how. We don't know how to build the temple of God. We don't know how to build the temple of God by reaching out to others, and we don't know how to build the temple of God by building one another up. And the reality is this, You and I may have failed to know how to build because of our observations. We look around and we see other people aren't really building or nobody has actually invested in you personally or invested in me personally. So we have not seen it being modeled to us. We've seen what is modeled to us an activity-oriented Christianity. But we haven't seen modeled to us investment in individuals and in small groups. Maybe you haven't received instructions about how you build. You haven't been taught some practical strategies to build other people up or maybe you haven't had the privilege of being in partnership with other people who are builders so what do you do when you're surrounded by builders you build and if you're surrounded by slack builders you become a slack builder if you're surrounded by rude builders you actually become rude in your interactions on the building side if you're surrounded by selfless diligent hard-working builders that's who you become our community of practice the community that we find our social identity in the community that we engage with and interact with determine what we do to a large extent just sidetracking for a little bit yesterday Susie and I and our children were were part of a reunion of the very first church plant we've had about 15 and a half years ago and as I looked around the people that were standing there in the park each almost each single one of them had a profound impact on the way I see Jesus and I do ministry the way I see Jesus and the way I do ministry it was in the heat of a group a group fire who are passionately lover being lovers of Jesus and living sincerely and sacrificially for his cause and the group that you abide with is the group that will determine how you see life how you see yourself and how you built. So if you look around the groups that you may be part of, if you look around people that you know who are supposed to be followers of Jesus, who are building others up, you may see three types of people. The first one is the distracted builders. Des right here, he was a little distracted, wasn't he? Where, where, where is that? Where is Des? Des down the back somewhere. Des, you, you were distracted, weren't you? Or you're having a, a bit of a soup, weren't you? Some of us are distracted. When it comes to building, some of us are distracted. Why? Because we're building our own tower. Let's be honest. 
We are building and we want God to be the vending machine that will provide all the resources that we need to have a better family, a better career, a more resourced environment, wealth and health and prosperity. And, and God is not our cosmic building machine, vending machine. He is inviting us on a building site for other people because he spent his entire life building into other people he gave himself that's why you and i are here because we're the recipient of gracious selfless love from the greatest builder who built our lives on the cornerstone of his love some of us are distracted others of us are discouraged Maybe we started walking with Jesus and we were fired up early. And he said, the good old days. How many times have we heard that? How many times have I said that? How many times have you said that? the good old days? When we first came to Christ, we were on fire for Jesus. And what happened? Did Jesus change his character? Did the spirit lose his influence? What actually happened that there is good old days and bad now days? There's no reason. The same Jesus who yesterday, today, and forever is the same one that gives you love and, and capacity and confidence and power and wisdom and selfless attitude to go on building, building your family, building your friendship groups, building in your church community, building, living for the sake of others. Some of us are distracted because we're building our own towers rather than Jesus' temple. Others of us are discouraged because we tried and we were fired up for God and we failed. We miserably failed for one reason or another. We got burnt out for one reason or another. And now I am so discouraged. I have failed. I haven't had enough support. I haven't had enough people you know, patting me on the back. I have tried and I didn't achieve the outcomes I wanted. So I'm no longer going to build. I don't have what it takes. That's a lie from the enemy. But some of us are discouraged. Others of us are simply deficient in our skills. We don't have the know-how. We know, I read a research just a couple of weeks ago by a, a Baptist uh, theologian who wrote that most Baptist adults are inspired and challenged but not equipped. Are inspired and challenged but not equipped. And that's precisely why sometimes we don't do the building project. So I want today to give you something so simple that you will walk out of here saying, oh my goodness, it wasn't worth the offering money, but you can take it back. Um, but I hope it will be so simple that any of us are able to utilize it to begin the process of building. This is not the all exclusive instruction on how do you build and how do I build one another. But this is just a beginning. This is like a push start to get you and I to begin a building project. And this happens uh, written in one of the very early uh, epistles of Paul. Some scholars say it is the first epistle that is ever written. Others think it is the second epistle or second letter. So it's an ancient letter written to a church called the Church of Thessaloniki. Uh, and it was written so early on, it's worth us really seeing what he has to say. And it starts with chapter uh, 4 and 5 in the literary context of the second coming of Jesus. And this is how he puts it. He says, I might use that. Now, brothers and sisters, 
about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he's saying to them, listen, I'm going to give you some instructions, and these instructions you need to understand it in the context of the second coming, because there were some uh, speculations that were going on, speculations in the uh, Thessalonians church, they thinking that Jesus was going to come immediately. As a result of that, some people stopped working, awaiting the time that Jesus will return. So Paul's saying to them, I know there is a lot of speculations going on. I know some of you are saying Jesus is coming now, Jesus is coming then. I know that you're discussing this and that's considerably commended. But I want you to move from the idea that Jesus is coming and the judgment is about to come and Jesus will return and people will take their reward and all of that type of stuff. I want you to move from speculation about the when to focus on how do you prepare now. How do you prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ and the day of judgment, which is inevitably, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that it will inevitably happen. We are not progressing towards death. We're progressing towards the second coming when Jesus will come and we will be renewed. Even those of us who have passed away, they will be raised first and will meet with Jesus on the clouds. And then comes the greatest chapter of a Christian's life where there is no pain or tear or agony or stress or conflict where it's going to we're going to be with the Lord forever and Paul has just said to them encourage one another with this hope because friends if we do not have hope in the second coming of Jesus and of eternal life we're amongst all people the most to be pitied Paul says to the Corinthians so here he's saying, I want you not to worry about speculation as to when the second coming will happen. I would like you to begin to think how to prepare for the second coming. And immediately after it, given that perspective of the parousia or the second coming and the return of Jesus, he then begins, begins to give them some practical instructions. And the amazing thing, in the midst of talking about the future, he tells them preparation for the now about building one another up. And that's what he says. He says, therefore, so this is the context. So therefore, based on the fact that Jesus is coming and there will be judgment and people will be rewarded as a result of their deeds will follow them. Here is saying, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Just as in fact, you are doing. In the context of Jesus' return, he's saying to them, one thing you need to be careful of, don't focus on yourself because we can even build our spiritual project. I'm going to be the best I can be. So when Jesus comes, I'm going to you know, find favor with him. The reality is because of the blood of Jesus, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the ascending and the ascending of the Holy Spirit, you are already blameless in the sight of God. You are loved. You are adored. You can't do anything else to make Him love you more. You are absolutely treasured in the sight of your heavenly Father and He's got His full affection squarely at you because you are adorable in the sight of Almighty God who gave His only Son for you and I. But then he says, I don't want you just to get to heaven. 
I want you to get to heaven in such a way that when your father looks you in the eyes and say, you are faithful servant, you've been faithful in the little, and I want to raise you over much. And you can do that by building, building one another. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. In fact, I believe if Paul was here in our church, uh, he would have mentioned to each of us and say, you're already doing that. You're already building someone up. And, I, and I'm proud of you. And I'm grateful for what you're doing. And, 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 and he, would, he would look in, uh, at you and I and say, isn't it so rewarding that you're building somebody else up? Isn't it so rewarding that you're seeing someone else's rising up? Isn't it so rewarding that you help somebody with their family? Isn't it so rewarding that you encourage somebody that is faint-hearted and he's saying to them, it is what you are made to do. And then he's going to give them a three things. They're going to help them to know how to continue what they're already doing. And that's what, how, how he goes next. He says this. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encouraged, encourage the dis, disheartened or the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. The first instruction he gives, he says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. The idea of idle and disruptive, basically it's a military term that referred to some soldiers who were out of rank or out of step. It actually referred to a, a, an army in disarray. People weren't doing what they were supposed to do. People who weren't taking on their position and their activity, and they're not playing their part, so to speak. So they call them idle. And the amazing thing about that's actually just one word, the idea of idle, of, of being out of rank or out of step, it, they add the idea of its implication. When a soldier isn't doing their business, the army is disruptive. When a follower of Jesus isn't doing his or her business, they're not playing their part. And instead of building, they are disrupting the building site. It's, it's amazing that our individual activity has collective implication. When we're not doing our part, somebody else is picking up the slack and the work of God and the business of God. And you would know that if you're on a building site, right, Daniel? Right? If somebody isn't doing their work, everybody else is suffering, picking up the slack. Right? And the same thing in the business of God. If you're not playing your part, you're not merely idle, that you're out of rank or out of step, you're actually creating disruption to the ultimate greatest mission in the world, the mission of Jesus, to heal people, to restore families, to encourage the faint-hearted, to bring back people to God in an incredible way. And if you're not playing your part, you're disturbing God's business. And I tell you what, He's patient, but eventually He's going to show you the door. Because God's people can play a lot on God's long-suffering. But He says that those who ruin the temple of God, in 1 Corinthians, it says, those who ruin the temple of God, God will destroy. God is so long-suffering, but He wants the best for you. But He also wants the best for the common good. And we need to play our part. So warn those who are idle. Encourage the disheartened. 
The people who are feeling overwhelmed by stress, those who are feeling lack of confidence or lack of boldness, those who are emotionally drained that they can't build. They don't have the courage to build. It's like, I don't have what it takes. It says, encourage them. And the word encourage actually means to cheer someone on and strengthen them with those thoughts. That's exactly the phrase that Paul uses when he says encourage one another. It's to cheer someone on and strengthen them with those thoughts, which is the thoughts of the eternity to come and the day of the Lord. Encourage it. Cheer someone else up. And then it says help the weak. That means it strengthens their hand. The word help, it, it brings the, the, the image of holding onto someone. It's almost holding somebody's arm. It's strengthening their resolve, helping them with the tools, encouraging them. You're not lead, letting them go. You're not forsaking them. You are with them because they need your company as much as your support. And then he says, he envelops all of this by the idea of patience. The idea of patience. He says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. You know why? Because when you're going to warn somebody, you might think the first time you warn them, to say, come on, get engaged in God's work, that they should respond. Wouldn't it be heaven if that occurred? Imagine for all the parents in this room, you warn your children once. You know, sometimes you say, I'm only going to say it once. Yeah, good. Oh, yeah, it's never going to happen. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as I'm only going to say it once. You gotta, there is God knows we need patience when we warn. And then he says, you need patience when you encourage. It's like some people say, I've encouraged somebody. You know, I've heard someone just last week, it says, I haven't been able to continue in, in the church because there's been a lot of this." you know, lack of appreciation. Uh, you know what? You encourage and other people don't encourage. Keep on encouraging. Keep on cheering them up. Keep on strengthening them. It is an, uh, it's an ongoing process. In fact, scholars say all those imperative, the tense for all those imperative is present continuous. That means to get in the habit of doing that. Get in the habit of warning. But get in the habit of encouraging. Get in the habit of helping. It strengthened somebody's hand. So with the warning, the idea of warning has three things I want to bring together quickly. The first thing about warning, it implies the idea of having a tie with the person that you're admonishing. Because the word uh, um, warn is the same word translated admonish in verse 12. And it actually means there is a, a tie, a bond between the, the admonisher and the admonished. You can't go out to somebody that you don't have a close relationship with and you admonish them and you warn and challenge them. It's, it's going to miss its point. Nobody's going to hear you until they know that you already care about them. But it also have the idea of tenderness. It speaks of brotherly, it has a very brotherly tone to it in, in, the, in the original language. He speaks of the, the, the tenderness that comes that doesn't shame. The tenderness that doesn't shame. So I warn somebody without shaming that person. That's what warning is. You know, if you bring somebody and, and, and you warn them in such a way that they feel so ashamed that they can't get up again, of course they've made a mistake. And of course you need to assist them and help them. But it doesn't mean you shame 
condemn them to the extent that they don't feel guilty about doing the wrong, but they feel ashamed of who they are. Do you know the difference? A guilt comes from what you do. You've done a mistake. Shame is who you see yourself to be. And there is tenderness of ensuring that the person doesn't feel shame. But also it has the idea of truthing in love, which requires the idea of saying the truth and actually bring the blind to the failure. Uh, bringing forth the idea of failure almost always with the sense of loving tenderness to bring somebody up from a ditch. That's really what warning means in this sense. And you and I know and love people who have been so loving to us that they it chose to warn us when we derailed uh, in our path. They chose to encourage us when our confidence waned. They chose to help us when we felt deficient in a particular skill. And you or I are invited to do the same. In warning, we actually help the person with their head. They got to begin to think differently about why they, they exist. They begin to think that they are called to be builders, not consumers in the family of God. They are called to be builders in a selfless project, regardless of their capacities. But then we need to encourage their hearts so when they feel they are discouraged and faint and they don't have what it takes to keep pushing forward, we need to cheer them on. We need to, to bring forth appreciation of their effort, not merely of the outcome of their work. The reason sometimes we find that hard to encourage one another daily because one another daily don't find enough outcomes to encourage. You, you don't build a city, you, know, you don't build a house in a day. But how about you encourage the progress of what a person is doing? You encourage privately, you gossip about somebody positively behind their back, and you encourage them publicly at the same time. And it's going to be timely. Not three years ago you did something so good, I've been so grateful. And finally, we need to help their hand, encourage their hand, be alongside them, and help them. Each of us have stories that have impacted our life dramatically because people stepped out of the comfort zone and became builders in our life. And if I, if I call everybody here, I say, put your hand up if somebody warned you and it helped you in the long term. I'd have almost everybody put their hand up. At the time, it's hurtful. Sometimes it's confronting. But in hindsight, each single one of us will put their hand up and say, somebody warned me, and it was awesome. If I say how many people have been encouraged and, and impacted your life, I bet every single one of us have a story of a, of a teacher, have a story of a, of a carer, have a story of a parent, have a story of an uncle, have a story of an aunt, have a story of somebody in the church who encouraged them and impacted their lives. And if I tell you who helped you in a particular area of ministry or in a particular career or in a particular job, or who helped you with your studies, who helped you in a particular friendship uh, issue, you would remember and adore these people. Yesterday, in the reunion that we had, one of the ladies that I hadn't seen for, oh God knows, maybe, maybe eight or, or so years, she said to me, her son is now all grown up. He's amazing at the moment, like, you know, he was that small and he was so, ah, oh, what, what is the best way to call him? He was very cheeky, that is the politest way to say, he was a nightmare, okay? Uh, and uh, cut that from the camera, he was a nightmare. And, um, 
and, and, and we were just laughing at how grown up and calm and, and, and so on yesterday. And she said to me, Peter, uh, and, and there were two other ladies standing there, says, I still remember the day, you, you know, you and Susie and the kids had dinner with us. And on the way home, Susie called me and she said, such and such her name, don't think we think you're, you're bad at parenting. We fully understand that your son was just having one of those days. Apparently those days were very regular, but one of those days. And she said it encouraged me so much. That's almost 10 years later. She still remembers a phone call, thank God, for mobile phones. You know, it's amazing how you can help somebody with a simple word of encouragement. Also yesterday, one of my very best friends, uh, we were doing ministry together. And I remembered the weirdest story. Uh, when we were doing ministry, we were doing full-time work and we were doing ministry full-time on the side. And it was very chaotic. And I remember we used to get, because it was a smaller environment, we used to get invited to a lot of outings. And one time, it was a Saturday night and we had a reception, a wedding reception. And it was going on and on and on. And I remember the second day I have a sermon that hasn't been finalized. So I got a napkin off the table after a couple of hours. And I began to just jot down some of my ideas of what I'm going to share the second day because to me uh, in a selfish preacher all I could think about is like I'm happy they're having a good time but I'm going to do my sermon because you can't call sicky on Sunday morning and uh, and Raph looked oh I shouldn't say his name um, he looked uh, underneath the table like that I said what are you doing I said I'm just finishing off some thoughts he said we're in a wedding reception I said, yeah, 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 I'm finishing quickly. He said, that's rude. You got to look after the people. And man, did I need that. Because sometimes unless somebody warns us of what we're doing that we are unaware of, we go on even in God to be selfish individuals when the world around us, they don't care about another sermon, they care about another piece of love and affection, and encouragement. And I still remember that till today. And help. The greatest example of help I experienced was not in a Christian environment. When I first became a teacher in my previous life, and I was a secondary school teacher, I was just a, a graduate, and I was so anxious about, about you know, getting into the, 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 you know, the business of a school. I, I was you know, self-conscious of my accent. I haven't done anything in that particular media study area before. I just studied. I was green. And then I had, a, I, I had the lady who was uh, the head of department, uh, the faculty, the head of faculty, actually came to me just after uh, the, 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 the acceptance of my position. And before we went on a, a summer school holiday, before I came back and, and received my first position, and she gave me, honestly, I kid you not, three boxes of all her... Uh, lesson plans and books and examples and assessment tasks. He, she gave me absolutely everything. And she said, if you need any help, just let me know. And throughout the year, I would sit with her and say, why did you do that? You know, most first-year teachers are, right now are so jealous of me. But, uh, you know, just let that thing go by. And uh, I was looking at what she's done. I was copying all the good work that she's done. 
And when I sit there, I want to add another perception of, of having people sitting in groups and do cooperative learning. She was the first to support me, even though all the teachers were looking in, 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 in the window and see all the kids talking together. And I was like, what type of classroom is that, you know? But you know what? At the end of the year and the beginning of the second year, and uh, you know, all teachers have the first three days or two days of, of the school year in professional development. And the principal brought me up and he gave me a, a gift and a, an award because it was for the first time in 40 years in the life of the school, two students from the one year 12 class got 50 out of 50. And I got up and I received the award and I'm like, that is certainly not deserved. Because if it wasn't for the three boxes of all the notes and lesson plans and assessment, I hardly watch movies and I had to teach movies, friends. If it wasn't for her notes, I had no idea. Imagine if you could be that person that can stand in the back. She had the biggest smile. And I, only several years ago, I wrote to her a, a message and, and thanked her that her influence over my life. She knows that I'm now a, a church person. Her influence remains with me today. I take every element of her selfless leadership into wherever I go. Imagine if that can be you, where you can warn when warning needs to be done, when you can encourage when encouragement is needed. Don't worry about giving somebody else a word of encouragement lest they misunderstand it. If there is authenticity, they will understand it in the spirit it's given. And imagine if you can help someone to get better. And you could watch from the back and say, wow, I had a little part to play in building you up. Because that's exactly the little Jesus that you were designed to be. Because your heavenly father daily ask how can he make you better today and what if that becomes your thing instead of asking how would my wife or my partner make me better instead of asking how my children or my neighbors will make me better today or how my church would make me better or how could people support me to make me better what if you and i ask how can i make you better today not tomorrow not next month. How could we daily begin to make other people better? In a way, they're deficient in their abilities. How can we get them to be better, to get better, to feel better? And you and I can have that opportunity even today. Even today. I want to challenge you to think about three simple questions that you may want to take with you today. And, and, and think about how you can challenge, lovingly challenge someone to be better builder. How can you build today and challenge someone to be a better builder? How can you encourage someone to feel better today? And how can you help someone to get better today? Friends, I want to invite you to build, to commit to build in someone's life today. I'm going to be seriously encouraging you to consider every single one of us, to consider one 
opportunity where you can build into somebody. You, God might bring it into your attention to build into your children. Maybe God will bring it to your attention to build into your friendship group. Maybe God will bring a name to your attention even right now. But all of us, young and old, we are praying. We are desperately desiring for each single one of us that it will be written of us in the story of this church for long to come. That every individual was a builder. Not 20% did 80% of the work, but we encouraged somebody. We warned someone. We helped someone. Would you do that with us? Because that's the job of the church, to encourage and help you and equip you. And we want to do that. Say so in one simple gesture, as we sing, that God would make us brave to invest in somebody regardless of how we feel. That you would come up. You've got some pens underneath your seats where you can write your name on that little tag. I think there will be some tags come up the front as well. Can I have that tag please, Colin? Thank you. You'll have a tag somewhere around you. If not, we're going to have some tags. The team will bring some tags. And you have a pencil. I'm going to ask you to write your name. As a sign of saying, I'm going to be a builder. I'm not going to build my tower. I'm going to build Jesus' temple in whichever way He leads me over the next 12 months. So I'm going to encourage you to come and, and to, to write your name on that card. You've got some nails and some hammers. Let's do it quickly. Let's have as many of us that this board of build will become a metaphorical mission for every single one of us around the church. That we're going to build in unchurched people and we're going to build in church people. We're going to build in people we know. We're going to build in people we don't know. And that's where the Adopt and Build project going to happen after the service. Where you pick somebody to build into and someone will pick you and build into your life. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be an encouragement. It can be a simple word of challenge it can be a simple act of love it can be a simple way of helping someone else would you do that with me today let's not be an embarrassed people there is no embarrassment about being a builder in the field of God so as soon as we get up I want to see you write your name I want to see you come and nail it here I want to come and pray over this and trusting God that he will mobilize and encourage us to be the builders that he created us to be Thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy and honor to be able to share with you God's word over the last few weeks. And I'm so grateful for the work, the energy, the enthusiasm that you bring to this family. We are always thanking God for you. I promise before Almighty God, we thank God for you absolutely daily. And we trust that what is ahead of us is greater than we've ever experienced before. May God honor and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul.